Would you find in your Bibles or smartphone, or there's some Bibles in the, in the racks under the chairs too, I think some. John chapter 18, we're going to be reading verses 28 through 38. And uh, we're going to read through it here and then go back and look over some more verses, look more closely, So, as we like to do sometimes. So you want to keep your Bibles open and handy and uh, pay attention. Boy, we're glad to see you today. I, and I'm so thankful for the Dynamic Trio. What's the name of your band? We appreciate them coming and being a part today. And we appreciate you being here on Memorial Day. We realize that a lot of folks are traveling today. And when I heard there are only going to be three members of the band, I thought, well, there at least be four of us here. But you've shown up. You're here. We appreciate you being here. We do pray for those who are traveling, of course, unable to be here. But thank you for making it part of your Memorial Day weekend. The good thing about these kinds of weekends is you can find a parking place downtown and through Sackley's line is not as long this weekend. But uh, also the fact that we can come and be together. We do want you to see that we're, 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 we're moving and we're focusing. The, we appreciate our praise band leading us today because uh, at the end of the service, toward the end of the service, it's one of our times to partake of the Lord's Supper. And we just do it on around the fifth Sunday as well as Easter and Christmas. And so uh, it just happened to fall on this day. But we think about those who gave their lives in our country so that we might be able to have the freedoms that we have, particularly the freedom to be able to come and worship. And at the same time, we remembered that the ultimate price was given because Jesus was not just anyone, that he was, uh, he is uh, the one who is the King of Kings. He is the one uh, who came from heaven, lived a perfect life, God in the flesh, and died for us. And we're going to be remembering that. So we're spending this time preparing spiritually we want to be able to partake of the Lord's Supper here at the end of the service and this scripture I believe will help us uh, as well. We're, we're starting a new series today that's going to be taking us in through the end of June. We're kind of kind of plugging in I guess to what our Vacation Bible School is doing and the Vacation Bible School, somebody look tell me the theme, it's, I know it's something dig, I can't read, the Destination Dig, thank you, I can't read that far, I can't read close, I forget. Destination Dig is the theme of our Bible school that begins next week. So the series that we're doing now is called uh, uh, Digging Deeper. And as we're digging deeper, there is archaeology in the New Testament, discovering more about Jesus. And so over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about some biblical archaeology and how it has to come with the New Testament. Now, I understand, try to stay calm. I'm excited about it. Maybe you may not be quite as excited about archaeology. But when I think of archaeology, I'm thinking... Indiana Jones and drama and intrigue and all of those, you know, danger maybe even along the way. Maybe you're not thinking exactly that. and Maybe we'll meet somewhere in the middle and it'll be okay. But as we do, we'll be talking about some of the things that have to do with archaeology and New Testament that will help us and point us to know new, exciting, more and things about Jesus and be able to walk with him uh, as well. So hopefully it'll be something that you can uh, join in on. But if not, you say archaeology, that's not something. Well, here's the thing. We'll probably only be talking about archaeology maybe two or three minutes each sermon, and it's only going to last five. You can handle two or three minutes if it's not your thing, and then you know by the end of June we'll be through with it. And you can, but all of it's going to be about Jesus and focusing on Him. Having said that, we're in John chapter 18, beginning with verse 28. We're going to read through verse 38, and then come back and take a little closer look at some of these scriptures and those around those around. We know that this is the time that uh, on the day of Jesus' crucifixion. He's already gone through two Jewish trials, and now he is uh, being brought before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Verse 28, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. 
They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves, judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Verse 38, first part, Pilate said to him, What is truth? May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. Here we have the first installment. I'm going to get Samantha to put a picture up for us. The first installment of biblical archaeology, I guess. And this is known as Papyrus P52. And uh, believe it or not, this is considered one of the uh, most uh, important uh, archaeology discovery. If I'm not saying it for the next few weeks, we're going to be in trouble. Uh, about the New Testament. Now, before we finish, I'm gonna, there's going to be the, I'm going to tell you what the most important, not today, but over the next few weeks, I'm going to tell you what would be the most important by archaeologists. But today, Papyrus P52, because this is to believe one of the oldest written pieces of uh, 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 papyrus that we have of the New Testament. It was uh, discovered in Egypt in the 1900s. Uh, it is believed to have been dated. It dates back to either 120, somewhere between 125 and 175 A.D. And, uh, and so you know that Scripture, of course, was, didn't have Xerox machines, so they had to write them down. Uh, of course, and had the copy and be scribes would be that would be written down, and that they would be delivered. Now I'm going to ask the, I'm going to ask the so what question. I mean, why would this become so important? It's okay. We're going to ask that along the way. What difference does it make? Does it help us to believe Scripture more? It does not. We believe in God's word. We believe it from Genesis to Revelation. It's the only authoritative word that we have, and we believe all of God's word. However, because this was discovered in Egypt and believe that it could be dated back to 125 A.D., it uh, means that the Gospels, in particular here the Gospel of John, was being written and copied, distributed broadly in the first 100 years after it was written. And to consider that we have a piece, even though <laughs> this is all we have of that, I mean, it, it measures about 9 centimeters by 6 centimeters, so we don't have a lot. We have about 5,800 ancient manuscripts that are written in Greek. And this is believed to be the oldest. So that's why it becomes uh, so Im important to, in, to us. And thinking that we have something that's written down less than 100 years than when John penned the original words about Jesus, which we read today. Now, we use this debt today to not only kick off our series, but also in preparation for the Lord's Supper in a few minutes. Oh, here's why we use it today. I almost forgot to tell you. On one side is written John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, which we read today. On the other side is John, excuse me, John 18, verses 31 and 32. John 18 is on the other side, verses 37 and 38. 
So we're using it to point to the very scriptures that we have today. One reason we are looking at that. But also in preparation for partaking of the Lord's Supper. I find it interesting in verse 28 that we read just a moment ago. We find that the chief priest who brought Jesus from Caiaphas there to where Pilate was in his headquarters in Jerusalem. They would not go in to the Gentile headquarters, office, or home, wherever he was. Why does it say in verse 28? Go ahead and take a look. Feel free to cheat. Verse 28 says, he said, because it's the Passover. They didn't want to be defiled. They wouldn't want to be unclean. So here we have the chief priest who did not want to be considered unclean. They wanted to be physically ready week of the Passover. Well, we're partaking of the Lord's Supper today. We maybe want to be physically ready. We are hopefully physically ready for that. But we want to be sure that we're spiritually ready because here were the religious leaders of Jesus' day and while they wanted to be physically ready, their hearts were far away from the Lord and we want to be sure that our hearts are ready today. Pilate asked, what is truth? What he did not know is that truth was standing there right in front of him and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who is truth and there is no other way to heaven but through him. What is truth? How many of you have heard in the last year and a half rumors, reports, maybe even news reports that were said as true or maybe online or something, but you heard it as true but only to find out that it really wasn't true? How many of you have heard rumors, reports, maybe even news reports or maybe even online of something that you could not, you didn't think that possibly could be true only to find out that it is true? Or how many of you are still waiting today? You're going to maybe one day find out whether it's true or not. You're still waiting. Would you say that some truth is hard to distinguish? Much of the world is asking this same question that Pilate asked. What is truth? Or maybe even more important, what is true? What is tr- really true? Because people are, even particularly today, we want, people want to know what is true today or what is truth because... Mm, Many, maybe even most, believe that truth is relative. I mean, what's true of you may not be true for me. Well, we want to be sure that we have defined truth today. We've, we've done it before. We want, to, we want to do that today, and we realize that God's Word is true. If you want to know what's true, anything that goes against the Word of God, the only thing that we have that is authoritative that we can see with our eyes, there's other written things that are out there, whether it's true or not, must be measured by what God's Word said. We know that's true. The gospel, the good news of the gospel, how someone comes to know Christ as Savior and Lord, we recognize that is true. And then we realize when Pilate asked, what is truth? He didn't realize truth was personified in Jesus. And he was standing right there in front of Pilate. Now, let's ask the so what question. I think it's okay. Maybe we're saying, well, of course Jesus is truth, or maybe you're one who is seeking today, and if you're seeking today, we hope before the day's over that you'll realize and understand that truth can be discovered and it can be found, and it is found in Jesus. Well, if we find that that's, so what? I mean, what difference does that make? Well, we're not the truth, but truth dwells within us. The Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, dwells within us, and so we, we carry around that truth. So for today's purposes, and you've got your notes there, so hopefully in front of you, hopefully it'll be helped. We're going we're gonna to define you and I, those of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to define us as truth tellers. And we possess that which we should not and we cannot keep to ourselves. And so we want to learn, as Jesus had said, I've come to bear this. I've come for this purpose, Jesus said. We read it in verse 37. He said, I've come that I might be able to share with you the truth. And so... 
We're supposed to be doing what Jesus did and is doing to the church, and we're also to be sharing the truth. We want to learn how to do that from the example that Jesus gave us with Pontius Pilate. And we also want to learn that we might not only, as truth tellers, we have the truth found in Jesus, but we'd like to be people that tell the truth. I mean, that are people of integrity, so that when we do say something about Jesus, they can believe us. And so we want to say through the words that we say in our actions. So let's jump in there. Let's follow along. Jesus tells us, uh, and we learn from this from Jesus, truth tellers never argue with others about Jesus. Truth tellers never argue with others about Jesus. Pilate asked also, then he asked, are you the king of the Jews? Because when the Jewish people brought Jesus, when the chief priest brought they actually didn't say what the crime was. They said, what's, why, what's the crime? They said, well, if he hadn't done evil, if he hadn't committed a crime, it wouldn't, we wouldn't bring him to you. And so Pilate then had some questions to ask to find out, okay, what crime had you committed? And one of the questions, are you the king of the Jews? On this Memorial Day, we remember those who gave their lives for our country. The United States was founded with a unique form of government. The founding fathers fashioned a government without royalty. No king or queen or prince or lords. Their design made the U.S. distinct from the European countries from which most came. Now in the Old Testament, we find a similar design in the nation of Israel. Israel began with a unique design. No other nation was chosen. Not the United States was not chosen by God. No other nation was chosen and governed by God himself. But as time passed, Israel desired to have a king like all the other nations. In the case of the United States, we didn't want a king. We don't want a king because we feel like we've got a better way of governing. Israel did not need a king because the government instituted was to be a theocracy. But they wanted a king and the Lord gave in and the Lord gave them a king. Gave in is not a good way to say it, but the Lord gave them a king. And you know, most of you know, the first king was Saul. Second was David, David, the greatest king of the Old Testament. And then there were other kings from the line of David. And as they continued, we find that if you read the Bible, most were wicked and not good. There were some good ones in there, but most were not wicked. We know that there was a split kingdom. Know that there was a, then they were not only a split kingdom, but then they were exiled as they became even more disobedient. So their desire for a king did not work out so well. However, even before David, even before Saul, God had promised that there would be a king to rule over Israel, not only Israel, but before all nations. His would be an eternal kingdom, which promised life and hope and peace. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. He was to be the only king of God's people. He's the fulfillment of that prophecy. So when Pilate asked, are you the king of the Jews? Did you notice how Jesus answered? If not, we take a look at it. But he answered with a question. Jesus often answered questions with a question. When they complained that the disciples were eating grains in the grain field, and uh, we know that Jesus then asked a question. He said, have you not read what King David did when he was hungry on the Sabbath? When they asked why he would heal somebody on the Sabbath, he asked the question, what man among you has not one sheep? If that sheep falls into a pit, does he not reach over and pull and lift out the sheep. How much more value is man than a sheep? When asked about loving thy neighbor, he told the story of the good Samaritan. Then he asked the question, who was the neighbor? It wasn't just a clever device to get out of an argument, but as a way of forcing people 
to think about what they're saying and to look at themselves. And ultimately, they were to look at their relationship with Jesus. So here, he asked the question back to Pilate. Well, he said, who's, uh, when he said, are you the king of the Jews? He said, now, is this something you're asking for yourself or did you hear somebody else say it? Is basically the question that he asked. Now, if he's asking for himself as a Roman governor, are you the king? Well, he's thinking a king like Caesar, a political king? Then the answer certainly would be no, but he was not that kind of king, although he is the king of kings. If he's asking because somebody else has said that to him, and particularly the Jews, well, in the sense that he was the coming Messiah, though they did not particularly understand the Jewish leaders and most of the Jewish people did not quite understand what, who, what the coming Messiah, what kind of king he was going to be. So he would have said, no, not that kind of Messiah, but yes, he is the king of all those who believe, all those who put their faith in him, and he is the king of the universe. Jesus being Jesus knew what Pilate meant. But he's asking, Jesus asked the question not because he needs to know the answer for himself, but so that Pilate might think about why he's asking, what kind of king now, there were times when Jesus was silent. Maybe you've heard that prophecy, he will stand silent. Well, he did before his, some of his accusers. He did before Herod. He did before the high priest when charges were brought. But now is the time to speak the truth, but not a time to argue. Now, it's just us, so let's talk here for a moment. Have you ever gotten that knock on the door on Saturday morning only to see a fellow with a tie and riding a bicycle or maybe somebody from the Watchtower Society and you're thinking, am I going to open the door? Or wonder how fast I can get this conversation over. I'm going to tell you something this, about myself, I guess. This, this would have been a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. When I would see them coming up the street, I would think, okay, I'm going to be ready for them. I, I did not necessarily shy away from them coming to the door. And when they came, I'm ready, door open. How are you? And I'm just, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for them to say something about Jesus. Now they may ask a question, something like, wouldn't you like to have heaven on earth? And I said, well, you know, the Bible says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and wherever heaven is, I'm ready for it. But I'm waiting for them to say something about Jesus. And when they do, I want to ask them, say, who is Jesus to you? Is he Lord God Almighty of the universe, God who came in the flesh? And the, I say, well, do you understand that you believe he is a created being, firstborn from creation? Colossians 1, it says he's the firstborn of all creation. So you take that to mean that he's a created being. They say, well, how do you know that? I say, well, it's not my first rodeo. Say, so, so you believe Jesus is a created being. That's interesting because the very next verse, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 says, all things in heaven and on earth were created by him and for him. They say, well, that just means that he's the first creation. And then he created the rest of the earth. And heaven's a reference to the stars and the moon and those kinds of things. And I said, that's funny because the very same verse says they created all that's visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. And before you leave, let me help you with a couple of other things because Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17 says he is before all things and in him all things exist. Same book next chapter, chapter 2 and verse 9 of Colossians says in him the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. Jesus never claimed divinity for himself. You say, well, we've got a problem because John chapter 10 and verse 30 says, I am the Father in one, claims equality with God. In John chapter 14 and verse 9, he told Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John chapter 8 and verse 58, he said, before Abraham was, I am. The I am using the very same name of God from Exodus chapter 3 when 
God was telling Moses who he was and what his name was. Jesus claims that he is the I am. If that's not enough, look at Philippians chapter 2 where it says, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was, where are you going, where are you leaving? I've never gotten through all of that before they've left. <laughs> then they go back and they talk to their church or kingdom hall or wherever and they be, kind of explain everything that I've said away and then they say to stay away from argumentative Christians like me. Listen, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 says this. It says, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you. Have y'all heard that verse? Are you at least aware that it exists? Said, yeah, you've heard that one. You know, me too, I've known that for a long time. But somehow, early on, I missed the last four words in that verse. Let's read it again. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect. No, it might be hard to believe that I might would argue or debate with somebody, but could Jesus have won a debate with Pontius Pilate? Well, sure he could have. But he's on a mission. For you see, he wasn't to win the debate, but even Pilate needed to understand the truth. This time in our history, maybe more so than any time in your lifetime now or even in to come, people need to know the truth. And they needed to be able to hear it with love. They need to be able to hear it with respect and gentleness. And we need to declare a hope in the living Lord Jesus. Ah, we're for the truth. We're also for telling the truth. And we're also for pointing to the truth who is Jesus I want to encourage you not to argue with family members and friends about Jesus or ever about the church, but just encourage them with gentleness and respect. But Jesus also helps us to know this kind of, also on this, truth tellers connect with others out of love. Truth tellers connect with others out of love. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Here was the Pontius Pilate. He was... Uh, he was successful as the world standards go, but had not discovered the truth. To him, truth was a mystery. Now, Pilate was not known as a very scrupulous guy. He was known to take bribes. He did whatever was politically efficient. His was to get ahead. He had ambitions. In order to do that, he had to keep peace at all costs, particularly with the Jews. And He was Roman governor for about 10 years, but God used this time in personal history to fulfill God's perfect will. So he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Verse 31 says, Pilate said, you take him and judge him by your laws. But because of his fear, the Jews would complain to Caesar. He put Jesus on trial. Now, you want to understand the timeline of this. Very early in the morning, Jesus had already been through two Jewish trials. And, and now early in the morning, he comes and they're standing outside. And they don't really give the details. He said, he's committed a crime and we're bringing him to you. And so then they move inside. And as they move inside, Pilate says, Pilate begins to question him. And Pilate asks, what have you done? And Jesus began to give Pilate a glimpse of his kingdom and us by knowing this conversation. And he tells him it's not of this world. Jesus said, if, if it was of this world, we would have fought. He said, I, we, we would have fought for the kingdom. Could Jesus had gotten up a group to fight. What happened just a few days before? Jesus comes in from Palm Sunday and the crowd's yelling out his name, Hosanna, blesses you, comes in the name of the Lord. He could have gotten off that coat and led that group to an army with no problem. If 
5,000 men, including their families, 5,000 men he fed on the hillside. And after that was over, after they fed them, they all wanted to make him. What did they want to make him? Anybody remember? They wanted to make him king. And they would have fought for him. His disciples could have fought. He could have called down 10,000 angels. No, 10,000 times 10,000 myriads of angels. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So let's take just a couple of minutes. Let's be sure that we understand as we move forward what's the basics of God's kingdom. If it's not of this world, then what is it? Well, in the past, we know that Jesus conquered sin and death when he died on Calvary's cross. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper here in just a moment. and We remember what Jesus has done for us in the present. We know that Jesus captures hearts. First, in the past, Jesus conquered sin and death when he died on Calvary's cross. And in the present, Jesus captures hearts. This makes for a more powerful kingdom than any of this world. Or maybe a kingdom or a government can be sure to, uh, you know, they can control people and seek to control people. After all, those who were living in Judea at this time were controlled by the Romans, but they hardly considered themselves Roman. But imagine a people, imagine if you would, people wholly behind the king and serve at his pleasure. That's a powerful kingdom. So in the past... Jesus conquered sin and death when he died on Calvary's cross. In the present, Jesus kept his heart. In the future, Jesus will destroy all evil and fully establish his kingdom. Jesus will destroy all evil and fully establish his kingdom. Today we live in a fallen world. And we have results. Things like COVID-19, political unrest, social unrest, and unimagined violence becoming the norm, all are parts of the results. And as long as we have freedom to choose Christ, there will be some who will choose evil. And the Lord is patient. But there will be a few time in the future in which his kingdom will be fully realized once and for all. So in the past, Jesus conquered sin and death when he died on Calvary's cross. In the present, Jesus captures hearts. In the future, Jesus will destroy all evil, fully establish his kingdom. And then if you're following along on number four, God is not, God's kingdom is not of this world, but is alive, well, and working in our world. That's the purpose of the church. We're pursuing and building His kingdom, the kingdom which is not of this world. It's not based on force, but based on love. We're to speak to people with love and respect. Apostle Paul said, I cannot help but preach the Lord Jesus because the love of God compels me to do so. So let me tell you something else that Jesus also helps us to know. Truth tellers accept people as they are. Truth tellers accept people as they are and offer an invitation. Anybody notice the brightness of the moon this week? Anybody look up and so how bright that's? Some of you probably could tell me, but I'm, I'm told that there are a lot of things that came together. Uh, it was a full moon or almost a full moon. You might have to tell me some of these terms and what they mean. It was a super moon. It was a blood moon. It was the closest to the earth that the moon gets, I guess, in this year. There's also a lunar eclipse that took place. All these things merged together to make it a unique week to look at the moon. A unique, bright reflection of light against a dark sky. Well, could it be that all these things have come together and God wants to use for His purpose all the things that have been happening in the world in which we live, all the things that have been happening in the country in which we live, all the things that are happening in your life and the lives of those who know and love you? Could it be that the Lord is using all those things so that you might be a bright reflection in a dark world? Read again verse 37. Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, So you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth 
listens to my voice. Pilate may not have understood the importance of these words, but we can. Significant. Jesus said, I was born. His humanity it speaks of. The divine became man. For this reason, I came into the world. He is he's eternal, has always existed. And he is the eternal God who came to save sinners. Then Jesus said, everyone, not just the Jews or the disciples, but everyone who is of the truth hears his voice. It was an invitation. Same as Acts 2, 21, it shall come to pass, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Notice invitation is twofold. One, it's an invitation to salvation. Living with Jesus on earth and then for eternity. For all those, and it's open even today for all those who are here today or listening today if you don't know Christ. It's an invitation to salvation. It's an invitation to sanctification for all those who know the Lord. Living with godliness like Christ with purpose. So here's Jesus. He's given an invitation. Who's he giving it to? Well, it's for us today because we're reading. Who was it to originally? Are you kidding me? Jesus was given an invitation to Pilate to know the one who is the truth, the very one who would call down this death sentence upon him. Something else Jesus wants to teach us from this passage as we're truth tellers. Truth tellers will increase their passion in two areas. Truth tellers will increase their passion in two areas. Now, passion means a conviction and excitement for something. It's a desire that leads to action. Two areas in which you and I will need to grow if we're going to continue to be like Christ. One of those is a passion for truth and the other is a passion for people. We've got to grow in our passion for the truth which is found in God's Word. We've got to continue to grow and know how important that is and know and have a conviction about that. Now if you're thinking today, yeah, I sure hope it's true, everything that's said about Jesus. Jesus is the way and the only way. But maybe there's other ways to heaven. Maybe there's other ways to know God. Or you know, there's lots of religions out there. Who's to say that we have the one and only and the one, the only one that is true? If that's your conviction, if that's as far as your conviction goes, I will tell you that you, we will not be the truth tellers that we need to be. A lack of passion for truth found in Jesus and found in the Bible leads to a weak spiritual life and an ineffectiveness of being used in his kingdom. But the other passion is also important, a passion for people, a love for people who need Jesus. To love others like Christ loved us. We need to have compassion. Now, we've talked about that word passion. Compassion simply means with passion, to truly care for people in their needs. It was that passion which caused Jesus to stand trial before Pilate and suffer and give his life on Calvary's cross. We become more like Christ the more we love people. What we need to understand is these two need to be balanced. They need to con both continue to grow. To have a passion for truth and not have a passion for people will lead to legalism, condemnation, and judging others and will be much more like the religious leaders of Jesus' day who handed Jesus over to Pilate. To have a passion for people, not have a passion for the Word of God nor the truth found in Jesus leads to sentimental misdirection, ignorant hypocrisy, and perhaps well-intended but misguided help which will lead to destruction. But listen, a church and a people that cultivate a passion for truth and a passion for people will see God do things that we have yet to dream. Let's just ask, which is stronger in you? Passion for truth or passion for people?
both need to be growing, but if we can recognize where it is that we need to commit and ask the Lord to help us. Do you think perhaps Pilate believed the truth? I'm going to make an outlandish statement, and I'm going to give you permission not to agree with me. I think Pilate believed the truth about Jesus. And we'll get, here's some evidence. We read the first part of verse 38. We'll put those on the screen as well, but last part of verse 38 says this. After Pilate said to him, what is truth? It says, after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Then the very next chapter, John 19 and verse 4, Pilate went out again a second time and said to them, See, I'm, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. 19 verse 6, When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, Take him yourself and crucify him. Third time, I find no guilt in him. Verse 12, Pilate again sought to release him. But the Jews said, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Pilate did one last thing. He placed on the cross of Jesus, where usually the, those who were crucified on the cross, their, their crime would be placed maybe above their head. And here Pilate placed above Jesus' head, the king of the Jews, written in three languages so they all understand. The chief priests complained. They said, don't say that he's the king of the Jews. Say that he said that he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate's last recorded words were, O Gagrapha, Gagrapha, what I have written, I have written. Yes, I'm making the suggestion that Pilate believed that he was telling the truth. He may even believe that he was the promised Messiah of the Jewish people, but there is no evidence that he ever placed his faith in Jesus and gave his life or his eternal life into Jesus' hands. I fear there are a lot of people that know the truth about Jesus, may even believe what the Bible says about Jesus, but they have not placed their faith in Jesus and their life and their eternal life. And I encourage you, if you're here today or you're listening today and you have, may know the truth about Jesus which has been brought to you today. You can't say you don't know the truth. You can't do as Pilate did and wash your hands of Jesus. It cannot be done. But if you've yet to place your faith in Him in the weight of your life and your eternity in His hands, you do so today. Ask Christ to forgive you of your sins and ask Jesus to come in. Can you handle the truth? Now that you know the truth is found in Jesus, what will you do with it? He is to be your motivation for getting up in the morning. He is to be your guide throughout the day. And your peace that knowing that you are in his hands morning, noon, and night, therefore you are commissioned. Walk worthy of the calling of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And allow the light of the truth to be able to be shined through you so that those who are living in a dark world or in a dark place can know that there's hope. And there's life and truth found in Jesus. We want you to be ready to partake of the Lord's Supper. In a moment we're going to be, we'll take hold of it and have it in our hands here in just a moment. We realize that these are symbols of what Christ has done for us and we are told to Partake of the Lord's Supper and remember His coming till He comes again. We're also told in places we are to walk or to, to partake of it worthily. And so we encourage you to do that today. And here in just a moment, I'm going to lead in prayer. And as we do, if there are sins that you need to confess, if as believers we know we have 
need to be a part of daily confession so that we might be able to have a right fellowship with him. We want to encourage you to do that. It's one of those times we want to be sure we've confessed everything before him. Turn all, turn all of our needs over to him. Thank Jesus for what he has done and commit ourselves once again. As we pray together, and if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's okay. You can pray. Ask Christ. The Bible says, if you call upon him, he'll come in, dwell in your heart, take hold of your life, promise you eternity. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now, even now, Father. We thank you for what your word has to say to us, and we thank you, Father, for helping us to be able to understand that Jesus is the way and the only way. We thank you, Father, for the truth that's found in him and found in your word. We thank you for the truth of the good news of the gospel that you've done everything necessary so that we might be able to have salvation. And today we want to thank you for that greatest gift. We thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for us. As we partake of the body and the blood of Jesus, we recognize this symbol or this picture of what Jesus has done and we also stand in realization three days later he rose again. He's conquered death and he gives us life. And we thank you for that. Forgive us of all of our sins. We come confessing to you that we are sinners. Even now, Father, maybe particular sins that we want to turn over to you. We want to commit to serving you. We know, Father, that where we are weak, you are strong. We commit ourselves to you. We commit to being the truth tellers that not only live with integrity, Seek to live right before others, but also seek to have opportunities to point people to Jesus. May we commit ourselves to you even at this time. We lift up these prayers in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.